Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's gospel lesson from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a blessing to get to be with each of you this morning as we continue on our series entitled, Things I Wish That Jesus Never Said. And I think Davis may have mentioned this on the very first week, but he did indeed steal this title from the youth staff and I from a series that we did this past fall. Um, But I would have to admit that we also stole the title of this series, Um, so I can't be too upset about it. I guess we'll just call it even. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for the gift of your voice this morning. I so much appreciate that as we prepare uh, to come to God's word together this morning. Uh, Some of you may also remember that the last time that Dr. Chapel asked me to fill in and preach, uh, my big mouth got me in a little bit of trouble. I joked from the pulpit that I was going to just interpretive dance for 20 minutes instead of preaching. And y'all did a good job of keeping the joke going, and he did an even better job of reminding me just whose pulpit this is. (laughs) Two weeks later, upon his return, he challenged me from the pulpit to do said interpretive dance. And then, of course, I found myself in front of God and everybody um, at our worship event on a Sunday night, flailing and jumping around the sanctuary very literally with bells on and ribbons in hand. So this time, I don't know whether I should just keep my mouth shut or joke about a month off in a race. (laughs) I guess we'll see in two weeks. Over the past several weeks, we've gotten a chance to take a look at some passages that are maybe a little easier to skip over than to read in their entirety. Passages that leave us thinking, I know he said it, and I know it's in the book, but does he really mean it? Does he really want me to turn the other cheek? Do I really have to set aside all of my anger? Do I have to forgive? Do I really have to hate life itself? I read some of these and I think Jesus might have just lost it a little bit because surely he didn't really mean all of that. Though we might wish they weren't, the commands are there and each of them in some way push us towards the ultimate commandment of loving God and loving neighbor with our whole heart, mind, and soul. And so this week we press onward toward an understanding of what it looks like to follow the man that did it right. Do not judge. Do not judge because you will receive the same judgment you give out. Now I have to say that when I first read this passage, I thought, simple enough, just don't do it. I feel like I'm pretty good at setting aside my judgment. And then I actually started to examine myself. When I walk the dogs in the morning, I judge other people's yards, I'll be honest. When I'm watching TV, I judge. 
And most definitely, when I'm driving around town, I judge other people's driving abilities. Now, I'm not exactly sure why my mind went to this story. I guess it's because it was near my anniversary, but I instantly went back to the day that my wife Carlisle and I went to the county clerk's, clerk's office to get our marriage license. With just a few days to go, we joyfully went into the office to make sure that we had all the appropriate papers to become Mr. and Mrs. Now, I have to stop and tell you that my wife, being both a pastor in Franklin and having lived there her whole life, we rarely go somewhere in which she does not run into somebody she knows. Upon walking in, of course, I heard Carlisle say, she looks real familiar in regards to the woman behind the counter. I disregarded the phrase that I heard pretty much daily and went on about filling out the required paperwork. Just about the time I was going to go sign the dotted line, I heard a lady from behind the counter ask me, did you play football for the Franklin Cowboys Pee Wee football team? And before I could reply with a no ma'am, you must have me mistaken, my soon-to-be bride chirped up, yes, I did, I knew I knew you from somewhere. Not only was the fact that my bride-to-be had played peewee football a new fact to me, but I have to be honest that in that moment, I judged a little bit. And I must also say that I questioned my own judgment a little bit, as well as my safety. We judge. It happens. We very easily notice the flaw in our neighbor without regard to our very obvious flaws and imperfections. And this morning, we are going to take a look at what exactly Jesus was saying to his listeners and to each of us today. The section of scripture that we find ourselves in is a part of Jesus' longest and most detailed teaching. This section in particular is corresponding directly with the third of the three pillars of Judaism, deeds of loving kindness. The words of Jesus, which resemble the words of wisdom we find in Proverbs, Take on a new meaning in this section, though. Jesus is not just flippantly throwing around words of suggested advice. He's spelling out the exhaustive and stringent demands of discipleship, of being his follower. He's laying out the playbook. It's not just theory anymore. It's the must-haves on the packing list, and the disciples are all ears. And right before our particular passage, Jesus addresses the relationship that we should have with possessions, not relying too much on our want and need for earthly items, but rather relying on God's ability to provide for us. And then Jesus shifts the conversation from our relationship with things to our relationship with others, with those that we call brother and sister. Jesus lays it out there very clearly. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. It's interesting here to notice that while Jesus was addressing his disciples directly throughout the sermon, Matthew is sure to make note that there were others crowded around as well. He's talking to the disciples, but loud enough so that everyone could hear. The command to seek a life without judgment was not just to be observed within the community of believers, the people we know and have relationship with, but rather with all people. Jesus was not just saying the disciples shouldn't judge each other. He was saying to everyone within earshot that this world that criticizes you and condemns you 
is not what my father intended, and my people should know that how you criticize and condemn others in that same way, you will also be condemned. It seems like Jesus is saying you're going to get out of a relationship what you put into it. And if what you put into it is condemnation of others and belittlement, then be prepared to get the same thing back. I love how the message version puts this passage. It says that critical spirit, it has a way of boomeranging. When you put out a critical spirit, so shall you receive a critical spirit, says Jesus. His warning is not just about the spirit of judgment that you will receive in return from others, but from God and final judgment. Now I have to say, I think that sometimes we want to skip over this passage because it creates in us a fear of the things we can't do anymore. Let's be honest, if we're going to take this passage at its very basic instruction, then we might have to stop watching some of our favorite TV shows. I have to say that there is no way that I can make it through nine innings of a Red Sox game without passing some sort of critical judgment. I've never seen it, really, but I certainly know that I couldn't watch an episode of The Bachelor without a thought of judgment. And I know that I couldn't get on any more social media platforms. The world we live in has created a culture of judgment and constantly trying to measure up. I think the fact that we see Jesus talk about it here in Matthew is a hint that the world, while free of TV and social media, was nearly the same then. We walk in a world of being judged, and so too do we judge. Each Sunday night when we finish youth worship, I ask the the students to do three things for me. Hug three people, tell them you love them, and that you are glad that they are here. I do this because I feel like community and a sense of belonging is vital. And if we live in a world that constantly tells people they don't measure up and they are not good enough, then the church has to be the one place that people know they are worthy of an embrace. They are loved and they belong. This passage is not limiting us. It's freeing us up to be free of a worldly life in exchange for a kingdom life. Now, I have to be honest and say I don't think that Jesus is saying these words with the anticipation of us never judging again. I think that he's addressing it here because he knows that we will judge. While his opening statement is clearly a prohibition of judgment, his follow-up words remind us of the hypocrisy of the way in which we judge others. I think the words that remind us that we have a log in our own eye give us an image of what Jesus is not saying in this passage. What is it not saying? It's not saying that we can't call each other out. It's not saying that we can't point out the areas of improvement that inevitably need to be made in each one of our faith walks. I think what it is saying is that no one ever helped their brother or sister by pointing out their flaws in one another without being willing to walk alongside them and claim their own faults as well. Saying that we are intended to do this journey together in community. And when we only communicate with each other in a spirit of condemnation, then the kingdom suffers. We don't point out the speck and then walk away. We work together to see clearly the image of God 
that's imprinted on each of us. And the speck that we see in our brother or sister cannot be the things which make them uniquely God's beloved child. I think that the judgment Jesus is talking about here is not the kind that leads us to push each other towards sanctification, but rather that which leads us to see others as less than. That which leads others to feel as though they are not enough or without hope. And that which leads towards division in the kingdom instead of unification. Jesus' bigger teaching here is not just about some do's and don'ts. It's about the dawning of a kingdom. Where there has been darkness, Christ has shed light. As the disciples sit and listen, he is not just delivering some well-wished words. He is delivering the instructions that make the kingdom appear bright. We don't resist a spirit of critical judgment just because it's mean and wrong. We resist it because it's what brings resistance to the kingdom of God. Life in a dawning kingdom calls us to live with an understanding that we are all flawed, liable to fall, yet capable to be picked back up by our brother and sister and seen as a beloved child. I don't know about you, but some of the people that I am most thankful for in my life are the people that when I was in moments where I was most likely deserving of being judged, sought with love and grace to pick me up and walk with me back towards God. While the words in this passage say, a speck in your neighbor's eye and a log in your own, let's be honest, what he is saying is that we all have a log in our own eye. We all have our own imperfections we would rather look over than deal with. And many times, the easiest way to look over it is to apply a microscope to the flaws of those around us. But Jesus challenges us to think differently in this passage, to seek fellowship that builds each other up, and to gain comfort in accepting and seeking correction for our own imperfections. I've been thinking about this passage a lot over the past few weeks in preparation to preach. It's hard sometimes to add more to a passage that just pretty much lays it out there for you. But last Sunday night, I stayed up late thinking about it. Last Sunday night was uh, the seven-year anniversary of the passing of my mother. And after I got home from our Sunshine Choir's home concert, I sat both reflecting on the week I had been blessed to serve alongside of our students, as well as my mother. I remembered funny stories, conversations we had had, and I remembered lessons that she had taught me. While she did so very much for me in the 25 years that she raised me, I remembered that she gave me perspective on something years after her death. And with this story, I close. One afternoon, I was looking through some old pictures that she had stored on her computer in search of one in particular. While I never found what I was looking for, I stumbled onto some pictures that I'd never seen. Instead of images of first days of school or family vacations or me batting in a baseball tournament, there were several pictures of old letters and documents. Clearly, my mom had wanted to preserve these old documents so much that she took pictures of them. Curious, I zoomed in to take a closer look at what had been so important. I quickly realized what the document was. 
Roughly 64 years ago, my grandmother and grandfather chose to adopt a child that they would eventually bring home, my mother, to care for as their very own. The letter my mom had found in her parents' house and saved was the very first glimpse her parents had gotten into, had gotten into their soon-to-be child. The letter detailed her eating and sleeping habits, her medical condition, what made her fussy and her favorite ways to be soothed when she did become fussy. With tears streaming down my face, I began to think about my grandparents reading this letter for the first time. How they must have read it over and over again with excitement and love. Seeing all the best in their new daughter. They must have only seen perfection in that letter and ultimately my mother even though in the years to come she would have many flaws. I think about that letter often. I imagine that that letter is a glimpse into how God looks at you and me with a smile and a tear, seeing fully the beautiful potential in each one of us. I can't help but to think that if we are made to be in the image of God, then we must also see each other as God sees us full of potential, as impactful, and of sacred worth. I think that as we do so, then we get to see a little more clearly what God intended this place to be like and what the kingdom of heaven will look like. It's funny how mothers never stop mothering us, isn't it? Even seven years later, she's still teaching me. I don't know about you, but I know I'm going to struggle with judging others. It's in the book because God knows we are gonna struggle with it. The question is not will you judge, it's how do you want to be judged? Through what lens do you want to be seen and look at others through that same lens? Personally, I wanna be seen through the lens of a loving and anticipant parent. One that sees potential and love and grace. One that sees me as a gift and a blessing, not a curse. That letter is not an example of just how we ought to see each other. It's an example of the lens through which God sees us with love and grace and full of potential. Humanity tends to struggle sometimes in relationships, but I don't give up hope because I know the God of the universe sees me and sees you. And if I can just barely begin to look at you and both those like me and not like me the same way, then I think we are going to get to see a bit of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Friends, the kingdom is dawning. The light is getting brighter. And we're getting a little closer to being like the man that holds it all together. Let it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.